0: Good morning, morning. just a brief aside before I begin this morning's message, Um, you know one of the things that I always hope to see in the life of this church is that all of us will integrate the faith that is built here together, built on Wednesday nights for those of you who are in house churches together will integrate that into our day-to-day lives. And this week, I had the opportunity to see, to witness that firsthand for two of our families here at church, because uh, Thursday night, I went to the Mental Health Association in Tulsa annual awards. And first of all, you, you need to know this, that Mike cleans up really well. I got to see Mike in a, in a nice suit, and you know, we don't usually get to see him dressed like that here on Sunday morning. But secondly, I got to see the scope of the work of this organization that Mike's been heading for how many years now, 15? 18 years. And it touches so many lives in our community in a very significant way. Now, it is a quote unquote secular organization, but I have to tell you that because we know Mike and we know Marin, we know that his heart is God's heart for the mentally ill, for the homeless in this community. And th- it's a neat work, i got to tell you. It's a really neat work, and it's worthy of our prayers and worthy of our encouragement and our support. The other thing, the reason I went is because uh, Mary Ligan received an award from the Mental Health Association, the uh, Education Award, for all of the work she's done with the veterans over the last year, which we have highlighted here in our missions moment even last week. And so I just have to say it just felt really good to be there and see two of our people who are doing things that aren't really necessarily related to the church, but they're related to the kingdom. And that's my heartbeat. That's what I think all of us want to see. Now think about this for a second. If you're the owner, the manager, or the boss of a business, and you need more help because maybe you're having a grand opening or maybe your business is just going really well, you can't do it yourself. Chances are, what are you going to do? You're probably going to put out A help wanted sign, aren't you? You might put out a sign like this one, uh, now hiring the cashier, and then put the little caveat at the bottom, cannot look like anything like Skeletor from (laughs) He-Man. Or you might have this one down here from a software company in Austin that says, needs a good lamp programmer, ASAP, no jerks, please. (laughs) I have that on my resume, not a jerk. You know, it's a qualification. Of course, my lamps, I don't need the program. Brian, you probably know what that means, but anyway. My program, all I have to do is just turn them on and off at home. <laughs> you might place a newspaper ad, a help wanted sign. You might hire a search firm to help you find the right person and weed through uh, people that might apply. One thing you wouldn't do if you needed more help, one thing you wouldn't do is just sit back and say, oh, well, we don't have enough people to do the work. Let's just hope we don't get any more business, Right? We wouldn't do that. When Jesus walked the earth, he had plenty to do. And he did the work that God gave him to do. But he too saw a need. And he gave to his disciples, and he gave to us the means to the end of finding the solution to this need. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We see some key themes outlined in this passage. First of all, we see the truth that the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there's plenty of work to be done. In this context, it means there are plenty of souls to be saved. This passage tells us that anyone working in some capacity in the harvest will not get bored because he or she doesn't have enough to do. Then we see in this passage that though there's plenty of harvesting work to be done, there are not enough people to do the work. There are more people needed to serve as workers in the harvest because the crops need to be harvested in a timely manner or the harvest will spoil. We also see who the boss is. Not just the boss, but the owner. Whose harvest is it? Verse 38 says it's his harvest field. It's the Lord's harvest. It doesn't belong to anyone but him. It doesn't belong to the church leadership. It doesn't belong to the congregation. We also see the solution that Jesus gave for this dilemma. The dilemma, of course, the crops are ready. There's a lot of them ready to be harvested. The crop is sitting there waiting to be picked. But with the numbers of workers currently doing the work of the harvest, it can't be done adequately, so we need more workers. If we're to use our business owner analogy just a little bit further here, it's as if Jesus was saying, ask your boss to send more workers into his business so that we can all get the job done. Please get the boss to put out a help-wanted sign. But it's also clear from this passage of scripture that it's a little bit stronger than the boss simply putting out a help-wanted sign and saying, please come. The word translated send out here can mean thrust out or drive out. There's some strength, there's some force behind this word. It's more like the master saying to the slave, do this work then it is like an employer saying to a potential employee, please come work for me. That's one reason why the Lord of the harvest is the one who sends the workers. It's not us because he's the boss and we're not. We can't recruit anyone for harvest work, but we can cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing to bring workers into the harvest. We can't initiate something God hasn't already ordained. So then we ask, we beseech, or we pray earnestly, as some versions say, that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers to get the job done. There's a couple of other important sub-themes in this passage that we'll also look at briefly. First of all, the crowds are harassed and helpless. Some versions say distressed and dispirited. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And secondly, we see that Jesus had compassion for these people. TCF has never been a church that was about quantity. In terms of our devotion to the Lord, in terms about our kingdom service, I like to think we're more about quality than we are about quantity. Quality of devotion to Christ, quality of relationships. Unfortunately, this idea of not being about quantity not having that be a primary emphasis, not caring that much about numbers has led some to think that the elders don't care at all about quantity. Of course, in some sense, that's really true. So it's not unreasonable for someone to come to this conclusion. We don't desire TCF to grow just for the sake of TCF becoming a larger church, just so we can have a nicer building, maybe in a better part of town, just so the staff can get bigger salaries, believe it or not. That's not what we're about. In this way, numbers are not important. Obedience is important. Obedience to God's call and God's direction for us as followers of Christ at TCF. That obedience has, at time, actually cost us numbers. When various winds of doctrine have swept through the church in Tulsa and around the nation, the leadership of this church has made the decision that we cannot embrace those movements. That's us, this has cost us. It's cost us in terms of membership. It's cost us in terms of numbers. When our vision for world missions has competed with other agendas, some people left TCF then too. There are other doctrinal reasons people have chosen to leave TCF. What's more, we look around and we've seen how church growth works in many churches. And Tulsa is a prime example. Of this tendency. People go to the latest and greatest thing in town. And when the new latest and greatest thing happens, what happens? They move on. We'll probably never be a church that's comfortable with putting ads on the radio or on a billboard or somewhere that say something like, if you're bored or dissatisfied with your church because of, and then name a myriad of possible reasons, come to our church because we're better. We're not going to do an ad like that. I've heard radio ads like that. I've seen newspaper ads like that. Little known fact, I spent a lot of money to have these particular signs made for TCF once. First one says, you know your church doesn't love you. Come to TCF. We do love you. The other sign says, your church stinks. Ours doesn't. Come to TCF. But you know what? When I had those signs made, the elders were so upset with me, they made... This for me to warn me not to do it again. Can you read that? (laughs) Bill Sullivan, 1956 to 2010, TCF elder, he wanted to advertise. (laughs) Just a little bit of the look into the inner workings of the elders. We're very aware of a very real phenomenon in churches. You've heard this phrase before, what you win them with is what you win them to. Did you know that we're larger than more than half the churches in America? One reason this fact might be kind of hard for us to grasp is because we're in Tulsa and we have so many very large and exceptionally large churches. But 50% of the churches in America average fewer than 75 attendees Only 5% attract more than 350. Here's one chart that shows what churches look like size-wise. You see that we're in the 35% category, 100 to 499 attendance. 25 million Americans who attend church are in that category. 59% attend churches that are 100 or less. So that just gives you a picture of what it looks like. In fact, Bruce did a brief study for the elders, and if you exclude from the numbers those who have passed away in our congregation, those who've left for the mission field, and those who've moved away from Tulsa for other reasons, we actually have more adults at TCF now than we did six years ago. Not a lot more. Essentially, our growth has been flat over the last several years, but that just gives us some perspective on where we are as a church in terms of numbers but we've never been interested in growing artificially. We've never been interested in making wholesale changes to the way we do church here at TCF just for the sake of attracting more people. Oz Guinness wrote this, to be always relevant, you have to say things which are eternal. I think we try to abide by that. But we know that if we make significant changes simply for the sake of selling people on the idea of coming to our church, What are we going to do when the inevitable happens, when the culture or the church is drawn to something else? Now, I'm not saying we can't, never will, make any kind of changes in our church. But if we change just to be like the latest and greatest thing happening, just to keep up with the Joneses, as the old saying goes, what will we do when that latest and greatest is no longer the latest and greatest? Here's a commentary on that by a writer named David Wells, When we speak of marketing the church, we're not referencing such things as advertising church events, providing excellence in church programming, being kind to visitors, or providing ample parking. No one's arguing the importance and value of such things. Marketing, as defined by the new paradigm churches, goes much further because its focus is on what the consumer, he refers to that as unchurched Harry, what unchurched Harry wants and thinks he needs, rather than on what God wants and what God says Harry needs. In other words, market-driven churches are built upon the foundation of polls, surveys, and the latest techniques instead of upon the word of God. In order to market a church to the unsaved, the consumer must be given what he wants. Since unsaved consumers do not desire God or the things of God, they have to be enticed by something else. Thus, the temptation then arises for a church to change or at least hide who they are so that they appeal to unchurched Harry. Additionally, the church is tempted to alter its message to correspond with what Harry wants to hear and thinks he needs. The end result is a gospel that appeals to Harry's fallen nature in an effort to entice him to come to Christ, the ultimate felt-need supplier so that he is fulfilled and feels better about himself. But... Can churches really hide their identity without losing their religious character? Can the church view people as consumers without inevitably forgetting that they are sinners? Can the church promote the gospel as a product and not forget that those who buy it must repent? Can the church market itself and not forget that it does not belong to itself but to Christ? Can the church pursue success in the marketplace and not lose its biblical faithfulness? These are all good questions, I think, to ask, aren't they? At TCF, I think we've made a considered and prayerful decision, and we trust obedient decision before God that we don't want that kind of growth. But I'll tell you what we do want. We do want God-given growth, not something that we have to generate by becoming something we're not. We want this growth, so that we will have more laborers for this little corner of the harvest that we call TCF. One of the strengths of this church is our relationships, the longevity of our relationships, the fact that we've been together and worked together and share our lives in Christ together. It's a significant component in the reality that we have a strong core of committed Christians in this church. In that sense, I think we have experienced and continue to experience a growth in quality, quality of relationship with Christ and with each other. But unfortunately, this hasn't led to a corresponding growth in quantity and the numbers of people attending this church. You know, I've heard many of you say, some of you said it to me and some of you have maybe said it to others and I've overheard it, I can't understand why anyone wouldn't want to come to TCF. I've heard that. I've heard many of you say that. That's because They've gained so much. They've grown so much in Christ through their years here. It's because they've seen how this body ministers to one another in times of crisis. It's because we have a genuine sense of family here. Yet there is a very practical reality at work. If God has truly called us, and I believe he has called us as a church, to release laborers into the harvest, it's right there in your bulletin, every week. Whether that harvest is the Medvan ministry, the Good News Club, the overseas mission field, some church ministry, or your own individual circle of influence with your family, with your work, with your neighbors, with your friends, the kind of thing that Mike is doing and that Mary is doing. But how can we disciple, train, and release people who aren't part of us? We can't. In that sense, we do care about numbers. Because the work of the harvest that God has given us as a church takes people. It takes a certain number of people who are committed to going into the harvest as part of what we're doing as a church and as their own personal commitment to the Lord in whatever sphere of influence they're in. Now last month, on one of those rare Sundays that I'm out of town and not at TCF, apparently there were a lot of people gone that particular Sunday. I heard several remarks from the elders and I heard from some others in the congregation about the low attendance. And you know what? There was a sense of discouragement. There was a sense of discouragement. There is a reality that we need to recognize here. When you're not here, you're missed. When you're not here, you're missed. There's an emotional component at work here, but it's very real. Yes, we know that wherever two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name, We know that God's here then too. Maybe that should be enough for us. But empty seats can feel discouraging in some ways, even when we can hang on to the reality that, yeah, we know God's here, even if so-and-so and so-and-so and -and and -and so-and-so aren't here. Then in the elders' meeting that same week, we discussed the ongoing need for volunteer help with some key ministries. We've had a couple of open slots in the nursery now for a couple of months. We have need of more children's church workers. We always have need of more help with the Good News Club. And then there's the med van. We talked about that from this pulpit even this morning. Dave mentioned that once more, the need for volunteers to help with various aspects of that ministry. That ministry is a very clear example of the plentiful harvest with not enough workers. You know, we have 25 to 40 people and more every Monday night harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd coming right into our very own building. They're coming to us. And yes, we help to meet some of their physical needs. That's a worthy thing. That's a worthy thing. But we just don't have enough people to help. And that's just an example. There's so much more we can do for these people than just take care of their physical needs. So that morning as the elders discussed these needs, there was a clear recognition that with all the good things we have going on here, and let's face it, there are a lot of good things that we're involved with, As a church, we need more help. We're already doing a lot with what we have, but there's a desire on the part of many to do so much more and to be more effective still with those things that we're already doing. But here's the challenge. We see here that the harvest is God's. It's not ours. Yet as we work in the harvest, we need more people to put their hands to the plow and work with us. So that week as I was praying about this topic, I had a very distinct leading from the Lord to study and preach about this passage of Scripture. Now normally when we set the preaching schedule, the elders give each other the freedom to seek God individually for direction. We don't usually seek approval. Hey guys, this is what I'm going to speak about. Is that okay? Uh, Sometimes we'll compare notes just for the sake of uh, helping us study and think through an issue but we don't get topics approved. But with this particular theme, I did ask for the elders' feedback. And specifically, I wanted their affirmation that I'd really heard from God and that this was God's direction for us. And I did that because at the end of this message this morning, I'm going to challenge you to join the elders with a very specific response for this morning's message. That kind of thing is something that's not up to me to do as an individual elder for me to decide but it is for the elders as a team to decide because it has to do with the direction and future of this church. So I did. I asked the elders to pray with me and to consider this and to affirm this direction. We noted that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, had compassion on them. Compassion is a component of our motivation here, our motivation to bring more workers into the harvest field. But compassion is not our entire or even our highest motivation. Yes, we care that people are helpless, that they're hurting. We care more still that they are lost without Christ. Many of you may have heard of the great Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren. He wrote this about this passage of scripture. He wrote that it's perfectly legitimate, although it is by no means the highest motive, to appeal to feeling as a stimulus to action. We have a right to base our urging of Christian men and women to missionary work, either at home or abroad, upon the ground of the condition of the men to whom the gospel has to be carried. I know that if taken alone, it is a very inadequate motive. I believe that any failure may be manifest in the interest of Christian people in missionary work is largely traceable to the blunder we have made in dwelling on superficial motives more than we ought to have done in proportion to the degree in which we have dwelt on the deepest. So I say that a deeper reason than the sorrow and darkness of the heathen is the love of Christ constraineth me. But yet the first is a legitimate one. Only remember this, that Bishop Butler taught us long ago, that if you excite emotions which are intended to lead to action and the action does not follow, the excitation of the emotion without its appropriate action makes the heart a great deal harder than it was before. You cannot indulge in the luxury of emotion which you do not use to drive your spindles without doing yourself harm. It is never intended to be blown off as waste steam and allowed to vanish into the air. It is meant to be conserved and guided and to have something done with it. Therefore, beware of sentimental contemplation of the sad condition of the shepherdless sheep which does not move you to do anything to help them. That's a mouthful, I know. That's why I had it on the screen, so you could read it along with me. The phrase in this passage, like sheep without a shepherd, makes me think of something else related to our theme here this morning. Here in Tulsa, perhaps because it's such a religious city, there are a lot of people who say they are Christians but don't ever go to church. Now, some of these individuals may be believers, actually, and some of them may not. But the reality for both is the same. They are like sheep without a shepherd. But specifically speaking, of those many Christians who've maybe felt like they've been burned by a church and left it, or perhaps they've even left a church and not connected elsewhere for reasons we might consider suspect in some ways, they are still like sheep without a shepherd. And as such, believers or not, they are in spiritual danger. Ezekiel 34, verses 5 and 6 says, they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains, and on every high hill, they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Now, I think there are some of these people that God wants to bring to TCF. I say that with some sense of trepidation because I think there's a chance that some of these left their previous church for what we might consider to be suspect reasons. In other words, there may have been nothing really wrong with the church they left, but there may be something wrong with them. But the fact remains, they are sheep without a shepherd, and they need a shepherd. They need a church family like TCF. The word used here refers to the weariness and fatigue which results from labor and being burdened. Jesus saw the people burdened with the rights of religion and the doctrines of the Pharisees sinking down under their ignorance and traditions and neglected by those who ought to have been enlightened teachers. Without his care, they would stray away. So while I would discourage you, any of you, from making an effort to invite someone who's already invested In another church to come to TCF I would encourage you to remember that the unchurched Christian or not find their souls in danger so how do we do this how do we put out the help wanted sign well we've noted first that the harvest is plentiful now does anybody really have any doubts about that we all know so many people who need the Lord We can just look at our culture and we can see how lost people really are. We can just look at our neighbors and our co-workers and our schoolmates and see how lost people are. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. It was true then and it's true today. But we also see that the workers are few. And that's true today too. It's true everywhere. You know, one thing I don't want this sermon to be this morning is one where I make people feel all guilty because they're not serving or not serving enough. There's always people in every church who could do more for the kingdom and work in the church. I really believe however that TCF is different. I think that the old adage is 20 percent of the people do 80 percent of the work. I think our percentages at TCF are much much higher. I really do. We have a much higher percentage of those who are part of this church and who serve faithfully as laborers in the harvest, either through what we're doing here in the church or through some other way. Another thing I think of is helping us as individuals find the connection between what we do and the harvest. Now, there are always somewhat invisible, somewhat thankless jobs in harvest work. Not everyone gets to reap. Now, it's easy for us to see the connection between what we do and laboring in the harvest when we have the privilege of leading someone to Christ. It's a little more difficult when you clean toilets, or do the bookkeeping, or work in the tape room, or greet visitors, or change dirty diapers in the nursery. But you know what? It's all harvest work. It's all important, critical even, to the work of the harvest. So my prayer is, Lord, please help us to serve you and help us to see that in serving you, we're serving as harvest workers, to begin to make that connection between the things we do that maybe aren't so easy to find that connection between what we're doing and harvest work, even if we never personally witness a soul being saved. Yet, we do want to see souls saved. That's what the harvest is all about. It's a harvest of souls, people converted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. Romans 10, beginning with verse 14, tells us, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring Good news. Let's be a people of beautiful feet. Amen? Let's play our individual parts in bringing the good news. So, I do believe, I do think God wants to bring growth to TCF. And I think He wants to bring growth to TCF in three very specific ways. And maybe in this, maybe even in order of priority. I'm not saying that for sure, but let's assume that. First of all, I think God wants to grow us primarily through evangelism and growth because people are getting saved and coming to church here. Whether it be through a program that we're already doing as a church or through our individual relationships with people in our own circle of influence, our neighborhood, our workplace, school, whatever it would be. It doesn't have to be through a program in the church, but I believe that this is the primary way God wants to grow TCF. Secondly, I believe God would want us to grow through those who are unchurched for a variety of reasons. There may be a whole bunch of reasons that they don't go to church, but whatever they are, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I believe God wants to grow this church by bringing some of those people here. And third, I think God wants to grow TCF by those who particularly resonate with the vision of this church, training and releasing laborers into the harvest, and specifically our calling as a church dedicated to world missions. I think of the image doctors. I think of ORU or TU students. These people just need to find us. And one way they're going to be finding us is if we are not ashamed to talk about this great church that we belong to. Jesus gave us the first instructions on how to get there, how to see more laborers come into the harvest. We're to ask the Lord of the harvest to bring workers. Now, that doesn't preclude any further action. Those of you out here who are faithful prayers know that often, as a response to our ongoing prayers about an individual or something in particular, God will give us very specific follow-up actions to do. But where do we start? We pray. We pray. In praying, we're acknowledging that this is God's harvest. We're acknowledging that we are absolutely and completely dependent on him. We're recognizing that anything that comes from our own designs, our own intellect, our own ideas is worthless toward achieving the goal of more workers for the harvest. But ideas, strategies, follow-up action that flows from these prayers will be more clearly his design, the very mind of Christ. It's critical to note that the only thing that Jesus said specifically to do was pray. That's the only thing he said. He didn't say come up with an action plan. He didn't say create an advertising and marketing campaign. You'll get your own tombstone if you want to do that. So if you're a TCF'er who for a long time has been really interested in seeing our church grow, not for the sake of numbers but for the express purpose of having more workers for our little corner of the Lord's harvest, please don't be disappointed that I'm not up here this morning giving you our five-step plan to grow TCF. To make that happen I do believe follow-up action will come but it will be in response to a result of the only thing that Jesus said to do he said pray he said pray with that in mind I want to close with a challenge to all of you here this morning and for those of you who uh, aren't here hopefully you'll be listening to this message Seriously, for those who aren't here, let's make sure they know about this as well. Encourage them to get online or go to the tape room and get a recording of this message. We'll feature this as a regular item on our intercessory prayer list. The elders have also agreed to seek God for messages related to this idea in the coming 14 months. Messages like evangelism. You know, there's a lot of things we could preach related to that. That's just one idea. And I want you to know that the challenger isn't just me. It's a challenge from the elders to all of you. Here's here's the challenge. In the next 14 months, between now and the end of 2011, we want to challenge you to pray intentionally, specifically, and regularly this prayer that Jesus told us to pray, to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest, and specifically, since we at TCF are part of his harvest, that God would send those he desires to join us in the harvest to work with us here at TCF. We're challenging you to pray at least weekly, but hopefully more often, maybe even daily, between now and the end of 2011. We will pray for this from the pulpit regularly, we'll pray for this in the elders' meeting regularly. We'll pray for this in our monthly corporate prayer meeting starting this week, regularly. And we want to ask all of you to join us. Young and old, we want to ask all of you to join us. Let's seek God together. Let's trust Him to bring the workers we need to do the things we believe God has given us to do as a church, as a body And let's note that immediately after this passage in Matthew chapter 9, I'm not going to read it, but after he had told his disciples to pray for more workers for the harvest, what did Jesus do? Very beginning of chapter 10, he sent them. He sent them. So as we pray, as we seek God, let's be open to what he would ask us to do individually and corporately in response. But let's start, let's start, with no other agenda than praying diligently, persistently. We as elders cannot make any of this happen. We're not going to call you at home to see if you're on board with this. We're not going to keep track of whether or not you fulfill this as individuals. God has to do this, God has to grow His church. We cannot but we do want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, with what he is doing to provide laborers for this part of the harvest that God wants this church involved in. Now, as a response, I thought about having people stand to commit to this, but I thought, you know, that's not going to work. You do that, who's going to be the one who wants to remain seated and say, I'm not interested, I don't want to pray. So, <laughs> instead, as I close... I'd like all of us to stand. And as I pray, ask God to tell you what your part in this will be. Does he want you to pray daily? Does he want you to pray weekly? And make that commitment to him. Don't make it to me. Don't make it to those sitting around you. So on behalf of the elders, I invite you to join us as we pray for the Lord of the harvest to send us laborers so that we have the workers we need to do the work of the harvest God has given us. Amen? This is the help-wanted prayer challenge. This is the help-wanted prayer challenge, and I pray that God would enlist all of us in this challenge. So listen to the Lord as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that this is not something that we can do on our own. We're thankful, Father, for your very clear instructions through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. So, Father, we seek you now for our role in this. We want to commit to pray. And, Lord, I pray for each one here that you would drop into their hearts even right now, pray weekly, pray daily, pray a couple times a week, whatever the case may be. And then before God, we make this commitment to you that we will diligently, we will persistently, we will intentionally seek you to send laborers to this little corner of the harvest field called TCF. Father, we're grateful for the work you've given us to do, but we recognize that we are completely unable to do it on our own. I thank you for the faithful servants who are here laboring in the harvest. We need people to come alongside us to help, Father. There's so much work to be done because the harvest is indeed plentiful, Lord. We can look around and see that with great clarity but we can also look around and see the harvest is so plentiful that the workers just aren't adequate. What we have now is just not adequate. So we ask you, Heavenly Father, to help us, to help us, Lord. And right now we pray, Lord, send laborers. Bring people into this fellowship. Make us more evangelistic in our outreach. Father, give each one of us a heart to see the lost one into the kingdom. And, Father, as many of those are won into the kingdom, we pray that they would be rooted and grounded in a church, and we pray that many of those would be rooted and grounded in this church. And we thank you for that, Father God. We know that there are many out there who who are harassed and helpless, who consider themselves believers. Some of them really are, but they don't attend a fellowship. We pray that you'd bring some of those to us, Father, and help them to be knit together with us as fellow harvest workers. And, Lord, we know there are those out there who have a vision for doing church the way TCF does it, the way you've given us to do, who have a heartbeat for world missions, who have a heartbeat for the lost, who have a heartbeat for training and releasing into the harvest. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help those people find us and help us find them. Father, help us to connect with those people and bring those people here too. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we seek you, as we submit this to you in prayer, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds and our spirits with action, with follow-up steps. Help us to know what to do, Father. Don't just give us good ideas, Father. Give us God ideas, we pray. We pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us in this. Father, we believe that you're not done with TCF. We believe that your Holy Spirit wants to continue to use us for your kingdom purposes here and around the world. But we know that we can't do it alone, and we need help. So, Father, we do put out the help-wanted sign, and we ask you, Father, to put out the help-wanted sign and bring laborers into this church for the harvest and help us each one to do our part and to pray, to commit to pray. And we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.